0: Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. And for the next few months, we're going to focus particularly on delegates from this past synod to talk about what just happened and where we might be going in the future. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us over on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash TheMessyReformation. We've also got a Facebook page where we're putting out additional content, and we'd love for you to find us on Facebook and like our page for more updates. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Zach Dewey. Yeah,
1: it... It truly is. There's a lot of things I feel like I could say in response to that. I'll start by saying Larry became a friend. He was in my advisory committee. And so we had good conversations throughout the week, um, even though we knew we were very, uh, very much in disagreement on a lot of the core things that were being discussed. Um, But he's the kind of guy I would love to sit down and grab a drink with and hang out with. Um, But what he said was was really fascinating on that last day. Uh, you're going to have to kick us out. We're not going anywhere. We love the CRC. Um, so, yeah, there is a distinction between the CRC loving the CRC's heritage and loving reformed the Reformed heritage. Um, but that's something I'm really thankful for as I've gotten to know the CRC culture and as I've gotten to know lots of other CRC pastors. Um I really am appreciative that I went to Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando and sort of I'm an outsider in that way, because I think at the Orlando campus in particular, they do a wonderful job of teaching the really, the breadth of the Reformed tradition, the, the greatness and, and the glory, um, and the, as Orlando is now becoming known for, the Reformed Catholicity of the Reformed tradition. Mm-hmm. So you have guys like Michael Allen and Scott Swain, who really spent a lot of time with us digging into the riches of, of our tradition. And so even in our systematics courses, constantly we are reading from, from guys like Peter Martyr Vermigli or from Turretin um, or from Martin Bootser and lesser known reformed guys that, that for me were really inspiring. We weren't just reading about the big names. Um, but we were reading about the, the breadth. We were learning about the Hungarian Reformed Church. We were learning about the Church of England and its reformers. Uh, there's kind of an Anglican movement on that campus uh, now. They actually have started something called the Cranmer Lectures that started since I've been there, um, which is it's pretty cool. So you, you get the the breadth of the Reformed tradition, and I feel like in the CRC, it's been whittled down to. Uh, what, what the crc tradition has become is whittled down to what's been happening really since post-world War ii times um and and so i go back and i read these old dutch reformed guys and i think this doesn't sound like where the crc is at now it's just it's two different two different places uh, but as i think about the institution i think it's interesting and this is maybe a little feisty my, my, of myself to say but I I get the feeling that progressives don't want to leave because they need the institution. They're sort of like, and this is true, not just in the CRC, but of lots of different denominations. And I've seen many different denominations. I've I've had contact with Methodists, the United Methodists. I've, when I was in Orlando, I was going to an Episcopal church with Justin Holcomb, who was one of my priests. Justin Holcomb's on the modern Reformation. So mm. it was one of the few Orthodox Episcopal churches in the Episcopal church, not the Anglican church, the Episcopal church. And so I've, I've seen the wars that various denominations fight. And it seems to me, this is my read, it seems that progressives are parasitic, Uh, they need a host to hold on to. And they cannot let go of that host because to them, their mission, their calling is to bring justice and equality and fairness, those sorts of ideals to environments where they see as being unjust and where, as they see as being oppressive um, and wrong and harming people. And so there's no just, uh, you know what, we're going to go our own way and just leave you and go off to the denomination that better suits us. It's part of their divine calling in their minds to hold on to the institution and to fight for it and to keep it uh, so that they can make it better in their in their opinion. And I don't hold this against him. I just recognize that this is why nobody's going anywhere. Um, it's going to be a, a long battle uh, because they cannot just leave. It would be to Capitulate. It would be to give up what is being what they see as a unjust system and institution, and they're going to leave it to be unjust and, and, and harmful to people. They can't do that. And, you know, I, if they really think that I think it does behoove them to actually stick with it, fight it out, and and go to the end. Uh, and so, for me, I realize that this is going to be a long, a long battle. And that's why I think Larry said what he said, you're going to have to kick us out. Um, and I also think that that will be good for their side. If they can be kicked out, it will it'll make us conservatives look like the aggressors. Um, and so it's going to continue on. Um, I wish we could just go our separate ways. Um, but things are messy, as your podcast title implies. Right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, and that's one of the reasons why we just named it. Uh, that is one of the reasons why we're called the Messy Reformation is just as a reminder to people that that this whole process of reformation is, it's always messy. And we want it to be clean and neat and tidy and done. You know, I know a number of people who are just hoping that Synod 2022 would have taken such decisive action that it would have right, been yeah. over. And I keep telling them that it's just not the way it works ever, and it doesn't even. We could have taken drastic, decisive action, and it actually wouldn't have changed much more because mm-hmm. they would have appealed. And you know, like Neiland already has publicly said, they're they're bringing on right. an appeal to the next synod, and and you know we'll have to deal with that. But but it you know this thing is just by nature going to take a while because the CRC yeah. is thoughtful and slow, and we don't do things brashly and rashly. But, but we still did get a lot of good things accomplished at this last synod. So, like, what 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 encouraged you about this last synod?
1: Oh man, there was a lot of encouraging parts of synod for me. Um, You know, I wrote a report once I got home from my congregation, uh, just about my experience. And one of the things I think I was loudest on in that report was how encouraging it was Um, being out in California. I think we kind of feel like we're just we're so far out here we're not really connected to the institutional center and so i wasn't really sure what to make of the week or what would come of it um we're not really plugged in with a lot of the abide project my pastor did write an article for the abide project leading up to Synod, but i kind of knew what was going on i had followed the abide project i'd also followed all one body so i just kind of felt like we're we're kind of out here um and I didn't really know how attached I would feel to the CRC. Um, again, given my sort of theological affinities, I'm kind of a eclectic person theologically. And so I went out there not knowing if I would even fit in with other conservatives. And I walked away feeling actually like I just appreciated getting to know everybody. Uh, I got to know several progressive people on that side and people who even spoke from the floor. They, they were. Uh, they became good friends or acquaintances of mine, just really through our, again, through the advisory committee. Uh, but I also got to see uh, and got to meet really, really thoughtful people. Um, and so I was encouraged by the fellowship. I was encouraged that there wasn't, and this is not going to be well received by many, but I really don't think there was a lot of aggression in, in, in the, on the floor of Senate. There wasn't a lot of caginess, in my opinion. And I've seen caginess. I've hung around with very cagey people who just want to fight. They just want to destroy and be wrecking balls. Um, Even amongst the conservatives that I met, uh, it wasn't like that. There was a genuine spirit of wanting to to see this thing through and wanting to see it through in the right way, not just wanting to go for blood, uh, but wanting to. To honor Christ in the process, um, and wanting to seek unity insofar as it could be found, wanting to live at peace so far as it depended on them, um, and so yeah, there were a few cagey moments, but even those cagey moments uh, were quickly uh, shot down by the rest of us. Um, one of those moments was even was was Cedric, and Cedric, I hope if he's hearing this, he doesn't get offended, but uh, he he gave an apology the next morning for his comments about. Uh, where synod, which host church should be doing synod next year. Um, And so I thought there was a good spirit of, you know, of of brotherly love and affection, even amongst all sides. um, I met a lot of people who didn't see things the way I did, and I really appreciated my conversations with them. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. That was, it was encouraging just to feel like I was finally connecting more with the CRC as an outsider, as a commissioned pastor who never had had to go through Calvin, I've not done the EPMC, so I really my, my CRC connections are limited to my own area. I felt like Synod helped me explore the CRC more and get a better grasp on it, and I was really encouraged by that.
0: Oh, good. Uh, we talk about encouragement so much, and it was obviously encouraging to spend so much time around you and just to get to know you
1: and share a beer which was very yeah cool. same to you guys <laughs> yeah um my question is actually about discouragement what from synod discouraged you hmm. Hmm. if anything yeah you know i wasn't i'm not the kind of person that gets upset by by things and so nothing nothing really leaps out i guess and this is kind of a like duh answer but I felt like there was a lot of talking past one another. And I I often felt like um, no matter what the Orthodox side was trying to say or communicate, um, it was going to be received as if we were doing toxic harm Mm -hmm. to people. Um, And so that was a little bit discouraging and kind of realizing that no matter what we do or say, to qualify and to explain and give the heart behind what we're thinking, it, it's simply not going to be received well by some. Some people will be better, more disposed to to listen. Um, but I felt like there was a lot of rhetoric that was just uh, more inflammatory than it needed to be, mm-hmm. um, and so that was a little bit discouraging. Kind of realizing that we were at an impasse yeah. and that there really wasn't going to be a whole lot of ground made on either side. Um, And so that, that was a little bit discouraging and then kind of feeling like what is even going to happen from here anyways, is this even going to go anywhere in the right direction? Um, And this was the, that like the response after synod actually has been more discouraging to me than anything at synod um the sort of the the waves that this has created of um the outpouring of anger and of um trying to find uh avenues and ways to sort of disregard what synod has done um that has been quite discouraging uh but yeah, being told, for example, that we're a part of the Ku boys. Um, yeah. <laughs> that sort of uh, language is like, that's really discouraging, especially for me as somebody who I'm, I'm not a part of any coup. Um, I've not been told what to think by some advocacy advocacy group um, on either side. If anything, I've watched and listened to way more ab- ab- uh, all one body videos than a by-project videos. I saw what the Abide Project was doing and yeah, it's I'm I'm I find myself in theological agreement for the most part with what the Abide Project is saying, but it's not like I had anything to do with that. It's not like they influenced my vote. It's not like they they're the ones who got me to Synod. And sort of seeing seeing things like that in the blogosphere after Synod, um, it's really just frustrating and
0: discouraging. Yeah. Well, and I think I think a lot of this reaction from uh, the progressives, revisionists, whatever you want to call them. Um, I think it has just, to me, it's shown their own little echo chamber Um, because like I've seen uh, pastors who are at synod who are revisionists say, well, the, the percentages at synod are not an accurate representation of our denomination, that this was all this manufactured thing. And, uh, and I laughed out loud because I'm like, you can go back and listen to this podcast that we've been recording for two years. And on my podcast, I've been saying, I think about 75% of our denomination is conservative. At least 66% of the, the pastors and office bearers are conservative. And I would say if you got down into the pew, probably 75%. And then we get to synod and all of the percentages were like 70%, 70%, high 60%. And so I'm like- yeah. The fact that you don't think that was representative means you've become disconnected just from the CRC and you're in your own little echo chamber that feels like you're the majority. But the reality is, Mm -hmm. once you get outside of Grand Rapids East and some of the liberal uh, classes around Chicago or up in Canada, the vast majority of the the CRC is still conservative, especially when it trickles down into the pew. And so... Yeah, there's this weird, there's this kind of weird disconnect and uh, echo chambers and bubbles. And I've been trying to talk to a number of people about that. I've had a couple of conversations in the last couple of weeks with people kind of, this isn't like me trying to pretend like I'm a big deal because they didn't know who I was. But I was talking to a couple of guys who have some fairly solid influence in the CRC in the last couple of weeks. And they were like, we just, we got to find a third way. We got to find a middle way. There's got to be a way that we can move forward with the these re, the revisionists and the progressives to be able to stay in the CRC. And I just I looked at them and I said, "You're only saying that because you're in the bubble. Like yeah. nobody outside of the bubble sees that as a as a reality moving forward, because most people, like like Zach said, and like I saw, and like Willie saw, from the conversation on the floor of Senate, everybody we were looking at that saying there is no middle way there's so much separation in us. Like we're, we're two completely different denominations now in the same trying to live together, which is why it just doesn't work. And so we need to just, it'd be really nice if we could come forward with some form of a gracious separation. um, This next synod where people like you go and go serve where you can serve in good conscience in a denomination because we're not moving and so now go but they right. still have this idea that there's a third way that can be had
1: yeah and that that's part of what I got to when with my little moment on the floor of senate um where i i said both sides think we're doing irreparable spiritual harm to each other it's different than the women's ordination issue right yeah. uh, i don't think women's ordination is the best practice but i don't think it 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 harms people in the same way that affirming them in their sin does. And so that's an issue I can agree to disagree on as a Um, And I, I hope, I hope that women's ordination comes to an end in the CRC just in the same way that anybody who's for women's ordination in the CRC hope that hopes that it comes into even more, it's more received. Um, that's just the nature of that disagreement. But, with the homosexual thing, with and with the LGBTQ movement in general, and how the CRC responds, this is an issue that we cannot agree to disagree on. Um, we cannot agree to disagree that pornography is a good thing and should be encouraged. Um, no, and if it was, people would be be riding in the streets. It would be it'd be a wild time in the CRC, um, and. So we cannot have two different views on, on whether something is a moral good or whether something is a moral bad. Um, and so, yeah, I think we are in, in pass, uh, and we're, we really are seeing, as you said, two denominations. I might even go farther to say, I think we're seeing two different gospels, uh, mm-hmm. two different understandings of, of sin different understandings of creation. That's a big part of it. The image of God conversation. They're made in the image of God. They are wonderfully and fearfully made, and so we should respect them and allow them to live how they want. We have totally different conceptions of creation, of the fall, and of what then regeneration means, what the consummation of all things will look like. And so I, I think we're really seeing that yeah, there's two, two different faiths. There's two different gospels here, um, and I don't think both of us are right. I don't think we can say we can agree to disagree here, um, and I'm not the inflammatory kind of person. As I said on the floor of the Senate, I like church unity. It's something that matters a lot to me. Uh, I'm somebody who cares a lot about the Catholicity and the unity of the church. Uh, I'm a very ecumenical person, you could say, I just last night, we prayed for Coptic Christians in Egypt who had a church bombed in Cairo. Um, That's something that like, I feel that I feel the weight of things like that. And so I'm not somebody who just loves to throw around divisive language, but I also cannot help but speak up when the gospel is being attacked, when there is a sort of division that is taking place that I, I think is actually pretty similar to the division taking place of the church in Galatia. Where Paul says, "I'm appalled that you are so quickly abandoning the gospel." Mm-hmm. I think it's a time to speak up, just like that. I don't think the women's in, women's and women and ordination issue is it's quite on that same plane. Um, and in fact, I've heard from uh, from one ordained female in our denomination. Uh, she was very, very thankful that I made that distinction, um, and she's from I think classes Grand Rapids East, um, mm-hmm. and so she said people often use women's ordination in order to sort of gain ground for LGBTQ acceptance in the denomination. And she says they're they're totally different things. Just because we, we used language of justice and equality in the first one, which she says is illegitimate, she told me the only reason that we ever wanted to really fight for it, those of us who were conservative women, was because we thought it was the biblical position. And so we didn't like the idea that it was often being argued for with Justice in mind, as if it's the right thing to do. We should have women be pastors for the sake of equality and fairness. She said, We thought that there is actually good biblical evidence for why women should be pastors. Uh, and so she's like, It's really alarming to me how much the women in ordination argument is being used in favor of now, 25 years later, uh, the LGBTQ open and affirming movement, the revisionist movement.
0: Yeah. I want to jump back to something you said because you triggered uh, something I just read and I've been really thinking about lately. So uh, this past week, I was reading uh, Michael Horton's book, John Calvin on the Christian life. Hmm. And I don't remember what page it is because I was listening to it on audiobook. But (laughs) he said in there that he said, every reformation that has ever happened revolved around a restoration of the doctrine of God and the doctrine of man. Hmm. And, uh, and I just jumped out at me because we know like John Calvin starts the institutes of the Christian religion off by saying like all and true and proper knowledge comes from the true knowledge of God and a true knowledge of ourselves. And I went, okay, Calvin was seeing that the, the fall had happened because people were misunderstanding the doctrine of God, theology proper and doctrine mm-hmm. of man. And so he just jumped out and said, we have to understand these two things. And now we're getting, I just had a conversation with actually a conservative professor at Calvin University who teaches uh, theology at Calvin University. And uh, and she was saying, um, this is a totally disconnected conversation. She said, man, I just feel like when I'm talking to, to the progressives in the Christian Reformed church, they just don't understand a solid doctrine of God and a doctrine of man. They have a totally different understanding of that. And then it was like a week later, I read this comment about Reformation, and I thought, wow, this is the work we need to start doing in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, Mm -hmm. On the one hand, we need to start restoring people's understanding of the doctrine of God and the doctrine of man. But I think also we need another, um, so anybody who's listening to this who's ready to write a book, like we need another Christianity and liberalism for the Christian Reformed Church. To point out, here's where our doctrine of God is, and here's where your doc, what you're saying a doctrine of God is, and here's where, where our doctrine of man is, and here's what you're saying is a doctrine of man, and uh, and keep moving forward on that because uh, that's really where the divide is happening, um, repeatedly in our denomination, and that gets down to I just said this on Facebook somewhere, like this is it's becoming it is a different religion that that we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, it's funny that you say all this because just yesterday, I said, I I preached two sermons yesterday. I don't normally do that. Um, And one of the sermons I preached on was Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel um, or of Babel. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I I still can't figure that out. I never studied Hebrew in seminary. Um, I only have my MA, uh, which is another part of the story. But it really seems like that's a good uh, parable of what you're saying here. Uh, two different religions. Uh, because in the Tower of Babel, people are trying to build up But they're trying to build up, and scholars believe, and I pointed this out, uh, most scholars that I was reading suggest that it was probably what's known as a ziggurat that was being built. A ziggurat is a type of building in the ancient Near East in Mesopotamia during this time period that was built of bricks and bitumen, which are the the sort of pieces used in, in the story that it talks about these people using to build this, this tower. Um, and these ziggurats would have temples at the top. And the temple at the top was where they believed the God would, would come into, sort of like an elevator, that the gods would step into this temple and use it as their portal into the human realm. And they would keep these temples well-stocked with food. They would keep tables and beds in there. So thinking that if this God comes down, we want them to be refreshed. We want to serve this God, and then this God will serve us. And therefore, these people have said, We want to build this tower so that, and it says this in in Genesis 11, we can make our name great. We can make a great name for ourselves. Um, And so they thought by building this tower up, by having a place where they can welcome God, they can get God, they could serve God, and they could have God then kind of become manipulated into serving their purposes. Uh, And their desires were to make themselves great. And so that's one way of religion, and God says, no, if you're going to be doing this, you're going to be tr- trying to, and I think this is this is at least my take, create a secular utopia. Uh, you're trying to make a world for yourselves where, at best, I'm only used as a part of the story. I'm a, I'm a part of bringing blessing to you. Um, And so God says, no, I'm not going to allow this to happen. You are going to walk yourselves off the cliff. And so not just in judgment, though that is part of what God is doing, but also because God is gracious, God has made promises to the seed of the woman that from her line will one day come the one who will crush the head of the serpent. God says, if you're going to build this utopia for yourself, you're going to walk yourself off the cliff. And so I'm going to stop you. I'm going to confuse your languages Uh, So that you may be held back from doing the worst. Um, And so then, in the very next chapter, very interestingly, God calls a man named Abram. Now, we all know Abram's story. And God makes promises to Abram, promises that extend back, of course, to the promises in the garden that he makes to our first parents. And he says to Abram, I will make of you a great nation and I will make your name great. Uh, And so, how does this happen? It happens by faith. And Abram's name is made great for God, and so that God's name would be great through Abram. Um, And there's a both and sort of thing happening here. And so we see two different kinds of religion. It's the religion where we we build ourselves up towards God through our good efforts, but we use God sort of to uh, propel us in the way we want to go. Or there's the religion where God calls us by grace through faith. He promises to to make a great name for us of the church, so that he his name will be great in the world. Um, and so we do we serve him by our good works, or does he serve us through his promises, so that his name would be glorified in all the earth? That's kind of my my rough outline of uh, of how I'm trying to get at what you're saying. There's two different approaches here, um, and so do we use God, or and or does God call us to go to a new country? These people had been wanting to say, let's come together, let's build our own city, let's huddle together. Even though God had called them to multiply and fill the earth, they are saying, let's form a city, let's huddle down, let's do our own thing and totally disregard God's promises or God's calling on our lives. And so there's these two interesting different ways of religion we see in these these two chapters. And I think today, I, I, I don't think it's wrong to say that a lot of the progressive Christians, not just in the CRC, but more broadly, they see God in a lot of the same ways that these, these people in the plains of Shinar understood God as well. They want to use God to become the best version of themselves, to uh, they want to say God wants me to be who He made me to be and therefore I'm I'm made to be this way. I'm going to live and be this way. I have to be authentic to my authentic self. And so I'm going to use God to serve my purposes. I'm going to express my inner self so that I can be fulfilled, I can be I can self-actualize. And so God beke- becomes a means toward an end. And our religion is not then built on pure mercy and grace and being by faith, but it's just sort of seeing God as a little extra to help propel me to be the person that I, I want to become instead of becoming the person God calls me to be, like he does with Abram. Yeah, so that's amen. my my spiel and my rant.
0: That's good. Well, and we see that happening in the Christian Reformed Church right now. I think I think that you know the way you laid that out. We see those two uh, these, those two religions happening right now, and so kind of yeah. on that note, um, we always like to end uh, end our podcast by kind of looking to the future. And so uh, you know if that's kind of where we're at now, um, as you kind of look at the future of the CRC, you know where do you see us heading? And then what kind of steps do you think we need to start taking as a denomination for us to see Reformation happen?
1: You know, I may not be the best person to answer this question just because of my lack of institutional knowledge and and history um, and sort of how things like this work. I feel like I was playing a lot of catch up at Synod just to kind of understand the church order and where do we go from here? What happens next? Um, I get the feeling that things will go till next Synod. Um, I think that's that's already been quite clear with Neeland Avenue's um, appeal. Um, that this is going to be something that comes to Synod 2023, and a lot of I think what will happen will hinge on that Synod. This is my own my own read, um, and I think for the next few years we're going to be in a pretty strong tempest in the CRC. Um, Personally, however, I am hopeful that Synod 2022 set us on a on the right trajectory, and I think there's good reason to believe that a line was drawn in the sand, and that, come what may, our denomination will not cave on this issue. Um, We're going to stand strong and continue to uphold God's word and what He calls us to do, how He calls us to live our lives, and how to. how to be sexual creatures. Um, and so I think that this is going to continue on, but I'm I'm hopeful. Uh, I think the CRC um, has been set on a new tra- trajectory. Am I answering the question? I, I yeah. think that we were kind of uh, slipping in many ways. Um, and we were faltering, just not that we were going in the wrong direction, but that we were just really wondering, where are we? Uh, we're sort of off course here, and I think everybody in the denomination has felt that way. People on both sides of this equation uh, have felt like, who, who are we and where are we going? Uh, I think Synod 2022 was a pretty resounding uh, vote, and I think it therefore has now sort of laid the groundwork for, uh, for uh, things heading in a more orthodox and confessional uh, direction. Maybe that's yeah. maybe that's just blind hope. I, I don't know. Uh, but I, I can't help but think that the vote being with the percentage that it was, that things are going to change anytime soon. And so I think what was clear to me was that amongst those of us who were there at Synod, there was a di- desire for restoration and prayer that we hope that those who disagree with the way that this vote has gone would actually be. They would be humble enough to reconsider, um, and they would see where we're coming from. Maybe that's a vain hope, but we have to expect, hope for the best, and want the best. Um, but I also think that there was a strong desire amongst the conservative side, whatever language we want to use, uh, to see it through, to give it teeth. Uh, For church discipline to be enacted, I I think that's something our younger generation, going back to that conversation, wants to see. I don't think, this is my read and what I've heard about the CRC, but it seems to me that for the past few generations, the CRC has lacked a bit of a backbone. Um, And that's why we've faltered into this sort of who are we identity crisis as a denomination. And so I think the younger generation coming up, if there's anything, because of our love for the Reformed heritage, we know the three marks of the church, right? We know that it's word, sacrament, and discipline. And so we actually want to follow through on discipline if it needs to happen. Um, and so I think that there's more of a backbone developing. There's a spine uh, coming into place in a CRC that is going to see this thing through in the years ahead and so for that reason I, I'm hopeful that things will uh, go in a healthy
0: direction that's all we have for this week stay tuned next week for our conversation with Stephen Terpstra but until then don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood and we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock so keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.